it's been forever since we were last in Acts, but it's only been a week that we skipped. But in Acts chapter 27, we started a part one where we have Paul's journey to Rome. And Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 16 is what we'll look at tonight. This is his journey to Rome, part two. So by the end of the night, he will be at Rome. But what we had seen previously is the, the shipwreck in chapter 27 and God's deliverance of Paul. But look at Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 1. We'll read to verse 16. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence, we fetched a compass and came to uh, Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Putoli where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appi, or, yeah, Appi Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come again thanking you for this day. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for teaching us your word. Thank you, Father, for the ones who are here tonight who have faithfully come, Lord, to worship and to learn and to grow and to edify each other, pray for each other and love each other. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the comfort you give us in life of just putting us in the company of all of the other saints whom love us and we love. Father, we pray your blessings upon the word tonight that Christ will be lifted up and glorified. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So when we come back in chapter 28, verse 1, and we start looking at this, again, this is uh, Paul's not at Rome yet. He's still journeying there, but they stop at Melita. Now, if you remember, I don't know if you all have your maps next to you, but uh, Melita is called Malta. So today, Melita is called Malta. Actually, in about uh, 300 A.D., is when they changed the name to Malta. And Paul actually had said that the angel that had visited him back when they were in the storm and back when right before the shipwreck, he had even said in verse 26 that they must be cast upon a certain island. Now, one of the things I want to do tonight is we need a... I really want us to put our place, put ourselves where Paul is. And this will help us. Here, we know that Paul, up to this point, has desired to go to Rome. Even in early Acts, he says that I, I must go to Rome. And that's why he cut it short in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. He had to get to Jerusalem, and then he had to go on to Rome. So as soon as Paul stepped foot in Jerusalem, he knew that he was going to go to Rome, but he didn't know how. And think about this for a minute. So think about what he's done since he stepped foot in Jerusalem. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea, and then he gets out onto this boat in this awful sea, and then he is shipwrecked, and they wash up on this strange island called Malta. And if you just imagine this, this is a journey for Rome, or for Paul. He knows his destination, but he doesn't know how God is going to do the middle stuff. (laughs) Isn't that our lives? We know our destination. We just don't know what all God's going to do in between us and our destination. So what do we do? We have faith. We have faith. We trust the Lord. We know that God is going to lead us and guide us and protect us and take care of us. And everything's in God's hand. You know, it's like, like, I don't know how many of y'all have ever gone on roller coasters before. But typically you see the roller coaster, the, the, the car that you're getting ready to get into stops right there. And it has people that get out first. So you know that you're going to end there. That's, that's where I'm going to stop when I'm done with this roller coaster. But now I'm getting ready to go on. And if it's a roller coaster you've never been on, you have no idea what to ex- You just know where you're going to stop. I don't know what the what Lord has for me. But isn't that something you can look back on your life even now and look at the decades of your life? And aren't you surprised at how the Lord is... is I mean, not surprised to the point, well, like... If I would have wrote out my life, there's no way it would have played out like that. I couldn't even imagine the the way that God, when I look in my past, has led me right at the right time, right with the right people, right at the right moment, and it was all orchestrated beautifully by the Lord. And he will continue to do that. Now, this is Paul's last leg here to Rome. And we saw in verse 16, he ends in Rome. But as we look at chapter 28, verse 1, 
And it says, And when they were escaped, and they knew that the island was called Melita. Now that, again, is Malta. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. Now, again, imagine yourself. You've just survived this two-week storm, this hurricane in the the Mediterranean. Two weeks straight. And then they shipwreck. And then at the end of verse 44, they're either, either the swimmers can swim and those who can't swim float. I mean, you talk about PTSD. They just got done and now they're washed up on this land. And could you imagine just being delivered from all of that? God has just delivered you. You look up and here comes native people. And you have no idea what's going to happen next. All we know that is in verse 2, they're barbarous people. Now, barbarous people, and we need to understand, Luke was Greek, and he wrote in the Greek, to a, to a Greek person, someone who did not speak Greek was called a barbarian. Uh, it wasn't that these were uncivilized people or primitive people or you know, like barbarians, you know, uh, you, like you picture in your mind a barbarian being, but all this means is, is that they did not speak Greek, that they didn't have, I mean, everybody else to a Greek was unsophisticated. Um, but what happens in verse 2? They showed us no little kindness. Luke reiterates this extraordinary kindness that these people, these Maltese, is what they're called, the Maltese people, show them. Twice, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. Now at this time, remember, they, they weren't able to winter in Crete like they wanted to. They, they wanted to kind of, hey, let's just you know, roll the dice. This wasn't a pulse at stay. But remember, the captain of the ship said, well, let's just try to get over to this other place and then winter. And then the sea took them out. Uh, and they let her drive, if you remember that. They let her drive. So uh, they're still in winter. So it's cold. And now it may not be cold to us, but that uh, Mediterranean island of Malta, uh, during the winter months it gets about 45 degrees during the winter. So we think this is uh, November, around November. Now that may not seem very cold to us, but you have to imagine it's raining and it's that cold, and probably the breeze from them. So they're wet and they're cold on this island. And now it goes from going from one need and having their need met. They're finally on dry ground, and now they have another need, right after the Lord had provided that need. Isn't that something? I mean, as soon as you go through your storm, it just seems like you're walking right into another one. Or it seems like it may not be as big, but there's another trial right there. So they're wet and cold, and here comes strangers. But Luke records just how wonderful the fact is, is that they were kind above and beyond what he would have ever expected. I mean, it might have been scary. I mean, think of, they just survived a shipwreck. Here they are. Here comes the natives. And, you know, the, in some of those ancient cultures back then, the natives could have taken them slaves, could have been cannibals for all they knew. But Luke 
I, I believe he just expresses how good God is, that these people were this kind. Now, here's something to think about. Now, imagine this being you. You're on this, you have never been, you've never set place on this place and earth, on all of earth. But think about this. God is the owner, and he's the sustainer, he's the creator of everything, everywhere. God can use anyone, anywhere, at any time. Just because you've not been there doesn't mean God is not there. And just because you don't know the people there doesn't mean your father doesn't know who they are. And God will use anybody to fulfill his will. And so, you know, I got to thinking about that and how encouraging that is that, yeah, you know, I may, I mean, think about when you go to Kroger. You with me, I know I do this. I kind of just get into my slot. I, I'm kind of narrow-minded, and I'm like, I, I just want to get in. I'm a surgical strike kind of person, and ask, ask April. I, I, even during the shopping seasons, I do not like to go more than two places because that's just crazy. I want to go one place, surgical strike, get in, get out like black ops, get in, get out, get what I'm going to get, and leave because... I, I just, I got to, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And, but, you know, even though I go to Kroger or I, I go to Walmart, and there's, it's filled with people I don't know, that doesn't mean my father doesn't know them. My father knows every single person in that place. And I have no reason to be afraid. I have no reason to, uh, you know, and I got thinking about that. And you know what? I should go out in public and just... Be cheerful. Praise the Lord. You never know who the Lord's going to put into your path. And that's the thing about this deserted island. It's so, I mean, they thought, here comes these people. They didn't know what they're going to do, but we have a father who knows exactly what they're going to do and leads them to do it. So I, um, April and I, you, a long time ago, we went to the Bahamas and... Uh, we landed, you know, we, the, we took the boat and everything and, and sailed and everything. Uh, well, we didn't sail, but uh, it took us there. We got off on this island, and, you know, I, there's people there. It's a culture there. I had no idea where I was. It just felt like you were a stranger in a strange land. But God was there. God was there just as much there as he is in Lexington, Kentucky, in my bedroom at night. He's every, you know, he is everywhere you are. And it got me thinking about Psalm 139. And uh, I wrote it down. Um, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You know, God is everywhere, not just on earth, but in the universe. He's the God of everything. He's the God of it all. And to me, you know, you're cold, you're wet, you just got done. I mean, anybody would have PTSD over what you just went through. I mean, April and I had just a canoe capsized, and we were like, 
We were catatonic driving home. We were like, did that just happen? You know, I couldn't imagine what they went through. And the last thing they need are here comes natives to enslave us or eat us. But God blessed them with kindness. God blessed them with kindness. He provided. Now, there's also another thing with kindness. You know, there's degrees of human kindness. It, it was a kind of a shock to Luke, I think, and that's why he wrote it. He reiterated it twice. They received us, and they showed no little kindness. And aren't you shocked sometimes by how kind human beings can be? The humankind, or mankind can be. But it really shouldn't surprise us because God has put within all of us an inner law. And it even tells us that in Romans, how the Gentiles have a law unto themselves. And God will ultimately judge every single person by that moral law which he puts within all of us. Whether you have the written law or whether you have the law within yourself. And he says the Gentiles are a law unto themselves. And so even these people on this island would have shown kindness. Now, now we know that the Lord will put people in your life, and even if they're lost, he will use them to show you kindness. And so it's no surprise to us. But the third thing that we need to realize is as God's people, we are always supposed to be extraordinarily kind. We are to be extraordinarily kind. The word of God tells us to be hospitable. That means to love and entertain strangers. In Colossians 3, 12, it says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness. We are to be kind. Now, I say that with, with kind of this disclaimer. Be kind, but be smart about it. I was at Speedway. And there was a lady who came up to me. I was all by myself. And she came up to me in the parking lot. And she goes, sir, can I, can I ask you for a ride? Can you drive me to this thing or this appointment or something? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to give you a ride. I, I, I don't know if it, you know, it was the one, seemed like she was down on her luck, kind of, not that I believe in luck, but. Uh, so I didn't know. And he, even, if, even if she came up and she looked like, I don't know, the princess of Wales or whatever, I still would not have given this lady a ride because I'm not going to put myself into that situation. Um, and you know what? It, nowadays, I grew up and I was taught to love, even love my next door neighbor who threw walnuts at us and popped our balls at every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every time mother would make a meal and uh, Stephen and I would have to walk the meal over to Mrs. Johnson next door. Miss Johnson sued the church. She was just, but we, were, we just sheltered her, showered her with kindness, and you know. And so my brother and I would take over the meals every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, and um, you weren't allowed on her grass. And we, we, you know, we grew up, and that I used to have nightmares about her. Honestly, I honestly did. And uh, but we were to smother her with love and kindness. So. 
But my mother told me to be smart. She didn't want me picking up hitchhikers, for one thing. And if you want to pick up hitchhikers, I'm not saying don't pick, pick up hitchhikers. But, you know, it's, let's be kind but smart about it, you know. Um, there's ways that you can help. And I, I wish I could have helped that lady. I asked her, does she need money? I could call her an Uber or something like that. You know, I, I want to be a help to you, but I, I just can't put myself in that situation. But we are to be kind. As God's people, extraordinarily kind, hospitable, uh, kind to strangers. And that is what God had blessed Paul and Luke and Aristarchus. We know it's those three uh, so far. In verse 3, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hands. All right, so now let's shift our imagination again. We're on this island, right? Paul, at this point, think about, I mean, he is the hero of this whole sea voyage, right? He is the one who stepped up in leadership. Now, we know he's still a prisoner. He's still Julius's prisoner. He's still going to Rome. But now all 276 of the passengers are on this island and Paul could have easily been hoisted up on everybody's shoulders and just worshipped as a hero. But in, what, is, what, what do we see Paul do? We see Paul picking up firewood. Paul humbly, humbly resumes his position as a prisoner. And there is no small, there is no small enough amount of task for one of God's people. One of God's leaders. Um, and you know, you got to think how impressive this was to Julius because it's the world who praises men. But Paul didn't want the praise of men. Now, Maybe I need to, to recap all of the way Paul was a hero in this, this, this storm and the shipwreck. Uh, he was the one that stood up, the one that encouraged them, the one who the Lord had delivered them, and he had promised all 276 would be saved. He is the, the one that at the point he had talked about, uh, he kind of controlled the whole situation, emptying the grain, uh, doing this, and the sailors trying to escape out of the lifeboat out of the dinghy, and uh, he said, stop them. And so at this point, he had, he, I mean, men could have looked to him and praised him, but here we see him humbly uh, picking up firewood. Now, like I said, no task is too small for a servant of the Lord, and Jesus even teaches that. He says the chiefest of all is the servant of all. The chiefest of man is the servant of all, and Jesus we see him wash the disciples' feet. He says the master, the servant is not greater than the master. Uh, in Philippians 2, Paul says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. And you know, that really is the case. You, you have so many preachers or pastors who just feel elevated. They feel above everybody else. They, they feel like that task is too remedial for me. I don't want to do that task. Now, uh, honestly, with me, 
I don't feel like a task is too small for me, but sometimes a task may not be right for me. Like, I may not be the best person for that task. You know, I, I'm not going to be the best person uh, to replace the plumbing in the church. I mean, that's going to be a, a tragedy if I did that. Or do your taxes. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to keep the money or do your taxes or anything like that. You don't want me to. I will not be a blessing. So... Um, you know, so it's not, the task is too small, it's just the task is not right for me to do. But think about this, there's this illustration, you all probably heard it with D.L. Moody. There was a man and he was accompanied by two women and he was trying to get his daughter into D.L. Moody's school for young women. And so they stopped there at the train station and it was raining, it was cold, and so the man needed help with all the luggage, and he found a cabbie. And back then, the, the, the cabbies were, it was a, a man with a horse who had a cart. And he hailed the cabbie over, and he says, I need you to come help us. And so the man got out, and he says, well, I, I was actually here just waiting for students, but I'll help you with the luggage. And he took the man and his two daughters all the way to the D.L. Moody Institute. Well, the man was surprised when the cabbie did not charge him, and he was further surprised when the man was D.L. Moody himself. So he was the one who helped with the luggage. He's the one who took them to... There is no task that is too remedial for the man of God. D.L. Moody is one of the greatest leaders that we, that we know of. And, and so that is the, you know... The preacher needs to get his hands dirty. The preacher needs to come. I mean, you don't need someone lofty and grandeur and, and thinks that they're the Pope walking around and everything. And uh, that is not what we see Jesus do. That's not what we see Jesus teach. He says, Of you that will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, in verse 4, at the end of verse 3, we see this viper come up and bite Paul. Now, today in Malta, there are no venomous snakes. Now, you can draw your own conclusion about that. God could have got rid of all of them off of the island of Malta. But at this time, there were venomous snakes because, well, one thing we know is the reaction of the Maltese people. They were expecting Paul to keel over and die any moment. So uh, they were aware of the snakes there. Verse 4, And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Now, this word vengeance... This word vengeance is a, uh, a, a, they translated it vengeance here, but what it is is justice. And it's a noun. It's the name of their goddess. The name of their goddess is named justice. In the New Testament, you will not see the word justice. You, it, it just doesn't translate. You, you don't see it translated into the English in the New Testament. You see righteousness. And you see vengeance. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And we see just, but you never see justice. So you'll see it as vengeance, 
And I believe that's what this is here. But in here, if you look up the Greek, this is a noun, and this is talking about their goddess, Justice. Their Greek goddess, the goddess of justice, was the daughter of Zeus, and she was the goddess of morality. So what they're saying is, though this man escaped the sea, yet their goddess justice is not allowing him to live because he just got bit by this viper. Now, the Greeks and their Greek gods and everything, they believe that snakes, vipers, dished out godly wrath. So when a, a viper would bite onto you, that was the wrath of the gods. Was, and that's where they gathered that from. But um, So the people thought that justice had caught up with this notorious prisoner who was supposed to have drowned at sea but somehow escaped. And uh, when Paul did not swell up and die... In verse 5, and he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. In verse 6, howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. You know, this right here just shows us the fickleness of the worldview. The world judges by appearance. They judge by appearance. Now, I mean, look how many times they changed their mind. First of all, they were survivors of the sea. So justice, their goddess, must have been okay. They survived the the shipwreck. They survived the sea. And who knows? That could have been the, the motive behind their kindness. But we know that God used their kindness, no matter what their motive was, to, to help his people, to help the, those who are faithful. So their mindset, oh, Goddess, these people must be okay because they survived. And our goddess justice must be okay with them. Then Paul's bitten by the viper. Now their minds change about Paul. Oh, he must be a murderer. That's what it said, verse 4. He must be a murderer. And so now they've changed their mind about Paul. So they got to looking and got to looking. And when Paul didn't die, what'd they do? They changed their mind again about Paul, now he must be a god. Now, here's the lesson in this. Do not seek validation from what lost people think of you. Do not think, do not seek validation of what lost people think of you because they have their mindset already and then it'll change. It'll change. And it doesn't usually change for the better. It changes for the worse. But, you know, and that's the thing is, is Paul said he just shook it off. I don't know if Paul was, I mean, obviously Luke knew that this is what they were thinking. And we know this is inspired and uh, perhaps they said something or maybe the Lord revealed it to Luke to write this. But that is something that we see um, in the world. And so many times you can take that and we, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember who we are. Paul remembered who he was on this island. And like I said, it's so easy to just get blended in. Whether you're at the Walmart, whether you're on the beach. It's, it, 
wherever you're not, like you're outside of your normal place, it's so easy to get blended in. And we need to understand we are not one of the world. We are God's. And God, and that's the thing, and this struck me, and the Lord convicted me or encouraged me, whichever way you want to look at it, but I believe I want to walk in the mire from now on with my head up, not hoping I don't get seen, not wanting to say anything to anybody, because God knows it all. All these people are not there by accident. God is orchestrating everything in your life. And if there's somebody there, you know, and when you look back on your journey, you know you're going, your journey is going to come to an end. Wouldn't you like to be able to look back on your journey and say, you know what, I walked in, I was faithful to the Lord, I knew who I was, I had a song in my heart, and the Lord just happened to put somebody who dropped their broccoli right in front of me. I stop, I help, I'm overly kind. Then a conversation happens. And then, you know, I got thinking about Brother Richard in that parking lot. And I texted him, I was joking, I was like, Brother Richard, we're going to need to deploy you to more parking lots throughout the week. If you just go scout the parking lot, because that's where he, uh, you met Brother Isaac, or Isaac, wasn't it, at the parking lot. And you never know where the Lord is going to have you run into somebody. And that's what we see God's purpose. God had a purpose in the storm, didn't he? God had a purpose to demonstrate his power, to strengthen Paul's confidence in God. Not just Paul, but Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus to strengthen their faith, to demonstrate God's power to people around Paul. And the same thing happens here. I mean, they just got onto this island, and here God's power comes again as a demonstration to all. The confidence which Paul had in God, the faith which Paul had in God. It's a different location, but it's the same God. It's a different location, but it's the same Christ. It's the same Lord who's providentially, and I'm not here by an accident. And so uh, that is the mindset. We need to see God's purpose in the storms of life. And this viper that latched on to Paul, and said it didn't hurt him, he just shook it off. God had a purpose. But just be warned, Satan also has a purpose. And Satan, in the same trials and in the same storms, he's feeding off of the fear. He's feeding off the discouragement. He's feeding off of, uh, you remember what Luke said? When they had lost sight of their navigation, there was, they, they didn't know which way they were going. The storm was so bad, it was like a mist. It was like a smoke <laughs> in front of them, and they couldn't see the stars to navigate by. And Luke said, at that point, Everybody just gave up hope. And that's when Paul stood up. And that's when God had encouraged everyone. Well, Satan wants to feed off that despair. He wants to feed off of that hope, or that no hope. Here, uh, Paul, bitten by that viper. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking through the forest and a rattlesnake bites me, I'm gonna, probably going to panic a little bit. I don't know about you all, but... But Paul, now, I want to say this, and I, and I wrote this down to go over it, because some of this is going to uh, surprise you. Maybe some of it doesn't. I'm not saying 
anything, like if you get bit by a snake, go to the hospital. All right? Would you all promise me that? <laughs> go to the hospital. Um, Jesus, it, there are 20 known churches. They're all throughout the Appalachia. For whatever reason, they're snake handling churches still in operation today. They're the holiness Pentecostal churches. All of them are in the Appalachia area. There's five churches in Kentucky, and there's six churches in Tennessee. Now, uh, I want to read some of this. According to researches, there have been 20 or 90 documented deaths associated with snake handling worship. This between 1921 and 2006. Now get this, in 1992, Glenn Summerford, a serpent handling preacher, was convicted of attempted murder of his wife with a rattlesnake by forcing her to be bitten on two occasions at their home. It wasn't even at church. And what happened was during the trial, each of the summer four, the, the husband and the wife, were accusing each other of infidelity. That sounds like a Columbo uh, show to me. I don't know if y'all know Columbo or not, but that, that sounds like, okay, uh, my wife is... My husband, I mean, they, they both thought that they were cheating on each other, so uh, they got the rattlesnakes out at home, and uh, I, 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 I love Columbo. I, I love it. Ever since I was uh, a kid, I don't know if you all like Columbo or not, but um, that's what it sounds like to me. In 19, now get this, in 1967, Jean Saylor, wife of a snake-handling preacher, died after being bitten by a rattlesnake in Bell County, Kentucky. In 1995, her husband, the preacher, was killed after being bitten by a rattlesnake. You would think, I mean, the preacher and his wife, after your wife dies from a rattlesnake bite, that you would stop. That you would stop doing the rattlesnake things, but... No, he died too. You know, and that's the thing is, like I said, I, I don't, and I, I preach a long time about this Sunday, about the humility to know that God has given us grace and knowledge to know that we see the Pentecostal and other type of churches taking what happens in the Bible way out of context and way out of time. Jesus had promised the apostles, and actually I've got a couple verses uh, that I didn't read to you. He says in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He also promised them in Mark, They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Jesus gave those promises to the apostles for either themselves or whoever the apostles were directly ministering to. Because we're getting ready to see Paul raise up Publius's father from the dead, right? So what happens, and it was in their lifetime. Once the apostles died, so did that promise of picking up snakes, picking up vipers. Now that makes sense to us. 
So why do, why do people have snake handling? And it just, they take it out of context. They, they, they want to grab entertainment value from the Bible. They believe that they've got to speak in tongues. They've got to believe this. You know, here's the thing. To me, and we, we all know that God had purposes for the miracle signs and wonders. It was to validate and it was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was that God, this is the authoritative message of God, and here's the signs and the wonders to back up their claim. And then once the word of God was finished, there was no more need to do that. Now, what happens, I mean, and to me, think about Moses parting the Red Sea. Why did Moses part the Red Sea? Well, it was a demonstrate. I mean, they had just went through the ten plagues of Egypt, but here in a mighty way, God is demonstrating his power and his authority through his servant Moses and that this is God's people and that the floods came and destroyed the armies of Pharaoh. That was a miracle meant for a purpose in its time. The same thing was speaking in tongues. The same thing with handling vipers. The same thing with healing the sick by laying on of hands. And all of those miracles were for a purpose just like parting the Red Sea. So why aren't the Pentecostals going out trying to part the, Red, the Kentucky River? If, if they're out there snake handling, and um, Satan will also use this kind of of thing that we see. Actually, in Georgia, uh, it became a federal crime to have snake handling. Uh, and you could, it could have been punishable by the death penalty because there was a case in the 1920s where a child had died from rattlesnake bite. And then uh, you could get the death sentence. You could get the death penalty. Um, but then they uh, appealed it in the 1960s and everything. But Georgia is another state that, that has snake-handling churches. But to God's people, though, you know, Satan would have loved Paul panicking here, but he didn't. To God's people, we know that Satan's attacks are real. Uh, we must continually be on alert of Satan's attack. He's on the prowl. He wants to devour. He wants to, uh, you know, even Peter had said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we all, must also remember that Paul was being watched. So we also are being watched. Now, in verses 7 through 10... God had further given the people uh, favor. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island. Now, chief man is, we think it's the Roman governor. He's the man in charge. The chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. That is this uh, dysentery. Yeah, dysentery. They used to call dysentery the bloody flux because of the symptoms. 
that ha, uh, dis, it's a, dysentery is an intestinal uh, bacterial infection, and it's usually by the handling of food that has fecal matter in it, and so you get dysentery. So it has a fever, verse 8, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. And when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Now, we do not see Luke express explicitly anything about evangelism, but we must assume that Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, they preached the gospel because that was the reason behind the miracles, signs, and wonders. That was the reason for them giving them aid. And how many churches a day are just red crosses and never share the gospel? They, they go out and they will do this. They'll go out and plant corn, but they'll never share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to go out and it, we are, it's not about being a humanitarianism effort. You know, flood relief or Haiti relief or things of that. We can go and we can uh, build homes and we can do this as Metathorpe Baptist Church, but we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's to be the primary reason we would help anybody. And that's the primary reason that we see, uh, even though it's not mentioned here, we know um, actually from tradition that there was a church that was established on Malta. And guess who the first pastor was? Publius. Publius was the first pastor of the Maltese church. So we know the gospel's being spread, and we, we know that they're receiving the gospel cheerfully. Because look at verse 10. What else does God do? Not only does God show them kindness, but he supplies them. They lost everything in the shipwreck. And they also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. So we see that God provides for them. Um, and then the rest of the way, verse 11 through 16. Then they take off. After three months, now that's the winter, right? So they wintered there. So now they're coming into the spring. After three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, the Alexandrian grain ships, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Now, Castor and Pollux were the twin brothers of Zeus. They, they were sons. I'm sorry, they were the sons, but they were twin brothers of each other. And their zodiac sign is Gemini. They're the Gemini twins. And on this vessel, which was common with the, the Roman vessels on the shipping vessel, they had these huge signs and these, these, these huge figures of Castor and Pollux. And, you know, if you get to thinking about that, even though this huge boat had these idols and a figurehead, did Paul refuse to get on the boat? No. So many times we tend to not do things because we're afraid of idolatry. And here's, here, here's a comment. You cannot be an accidental idolater. You can't accidentally be an idolater. 
Paul said, this is the boat. I've got, to, I've got to be on this boat. I don't agree with this idolatry. I don't agree with this, but this is the way God has means for me to go to Rome. So he had to go. Now, you can be an, you can be an I want to preface this, you, you can be an accidental idolater of yourself, but you're not going to accidentally bow down to a graven image and worship it. Okay, so, so, so many people want to avoid, and that's, a, that's another sermon for another time, uh, you know, that gets into the whole Romans chapter 14, weaker, stronger brother. Some people are bothered by things, meets, offer, offer the idols and this and that, and, and, uh, and some people aren't. It depends on where you are with your liberty. As long as it's not a sin, if you feel you have liberty to do it, uh, because where does it stop? You know, I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, and it's fine if, if, if you refuse to go shopping at Target because they support this crowd, or you, you refuse to go buy Starbucks because they support this crowd, or you refuse to buy a certain brand of clothes because they support this crowd, but where does it stop? <laughs> where, I mean, where does it end? We're, we're in the world. We're, it's chock full of idolatry. We're to be a light in the world. Uh, anyway, I need to keep going, and I hope nobody misunderstood or misunderstood uh, that. Verse 14, and when, where we found, I'm sorry, verse 13, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to uh, Regium, and if you look at your map, you're kind of going up the left-hand side of the Rome, and after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Putoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome, in verse 15, and from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appio Forum, the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was allowed, that word suffered, means to be allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So Paul's under this kind of house arrest with the soldier. We believe that he must have been chained and that the soldier had taken shifts. But verse 15, I, I don't want you to skip over. Because what's the next book? What's the next page over? Romans. Do you know who the, who, when, when Paul wrote Romans? He wrote it while he was at Corinth. Way before he went to Rome. So who are the people in verse 15 that come down to meet Paul? The ones he had written to at Rome. Isn't that beautiful? And in Romans chapter 1, at how he says, I desire to come to you so that I may depart a, a gift to you and I should be comforted with you and encouraged with you and we should have the mutual faith one toward another and here they come. Here they come. The people he wrote to, the church he wrote to at Rome, are coming to meet him in verse 15. And that's how God encourages Paul. This passage reveals several ways which God is faithful to those who are faithful. He is faithful to bless us. He blesses us. Uh, think about this. God is not finished with your journey. He's finished with Paul's journey. Now think about what, how God blessed Paul 
and his journey to Rome. He's at Rome now. First of all, he surrounded them with kindness. Second, God met their needs. Third, God encouraged Paul. Fourth, God had given Paul the desire of his heart. Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. And that's something. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. We see Paul remain faithful. We see God bless Paul throughout his whole journey. I mean, it seemed like just when he was getting out of one storm, he was getting into another. But that, we see God provide. You know, and that should just encourage our hearts. God is faithful to his people. And let's just praise the Lord for his blessings in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had of study. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your goodness to us, Lord. Father, how beautiful that we can come together as your people, open up your word, and feed on your promises that you feed us with. Father, just how mighty you are, how we can leave this place, Father, having full assurance. Lord, that you're in control of all things. And it pleases you, Father, when we look to you in faith. Father, may we just be pleasing and and bring honor to you in our lives. Father, may you convict us with your Holy Spirit when we do not. May May we repent. Father, may you help us and give us strength through our times of, of either fear or sickness or in health and uh, worry. Father, we know that all things are in your hands. And even the next step, you've already got. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, please, and we will...